From Gimlet, I'm Josh Muccio, and this is The Pitch. Right now is a strange time for startup founders. The first rush of pandemic crisis is over, but businesses are now trying to figure out how to handle the long haul of a business climate changed by the coronavirus. So on our show today, founders call in for advice from investors Elizabeth Yin and Hunter Walk. Hey. Hello. Hello. <laughs> We're about to start giving advice. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Are you going to, you should sing your advice. Elizabeth Yin is a familiar name on our show. She famously invests in hilariously early startups and lots of them. Her fund, Hustle Fund, is invested in over 200 companies. Elizabeth, it was your idea <laughs> to bring Hunter on. To bring Hunter on the show. <laughs> and now you have to get rid of him. <laughs> Why did you think Hunter would be good? You know, I feel like a lot of VCs kind of tap dance around things. But, uh, you know, Hunter's very good about getting to the crux of, you know, the issue or whatever it is, mm-hmm. but in a in a nice, genuine way. I'm hard on the problem, not the person. <laughs> I'm honored to be here. I like giving advice. Hunter Walk is with Homebrew VC. And when Hunter's not investing in startups like AngelList, Wealthfront, and Cheddar, you can find him on Twitter, dispensing nuggets of VC wisdom and making jokes. I'm an outlaw. Roaming the, the plains of business problems. If you're lucky enough that I walk into your town, I might just solve yours. Coming up, Hunter and Elizabeth offer advice to a founder with millions in revenue and another whose idea is so new, they don't even have a website. The investors will even bust a few myths while they're at it. Stay tuned. The calls will commence right after this. This episode of The Pitch is brought to you exclusively by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business, it's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's where State Farm Small Business Insurance comes in. State Farm agents are small business owners themselves, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hello, the pitch. You have a caller. To accept the call, press one. For more options, press star. Hello, this is Josh. Hi, this is Rebecca calling from Detroit, Michigan. Hi, Rebecca. Hi, Rebecca. (laughs) It's Elizabeth. You've got Hunter here, too. Hey. All right, Rebecca, how can we help? So I'm a cannabis entrepreneur in the legal cannabis industry in Michigan, and I've been a legal cultivator in Michigan for the last 10 years and just recently acquired some additional licenses to expand to compete with the big boys. So we're building a a huge commercial cultivation and processing facility. My partner and I have been funding the whole project. We're half a million dollars in already. In the legal cannabis space, is heavily regulated, so you definitely have to have construction completed within a certain time of acquiring a license. So we can't just be sitting on our hands, you know. Yeah. I have mm-hmm. to get this money. But it's been kind of difficult to fundraise, especially it's a pandemic, so don't have an opportunity to go to a conference and network with potential investors. So just wanted to kind of get your advice on how do you fundraise 
remotely from a laptop via Zoom call. Like, how do you really get people excited about what you're doing? But you have to do it from a computer screen. Mm. Is the question like how to cultivate relationships with investors these days? Cultivate for a cannabis <laughs> startup. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think the good news actually is that during this time, because everyone is largely taking, you know, Zoom meetings or phone calls, it actually, in some sense, allows you to open up a, a wider net because you don't have to go someplace and drive all around town to meet with different investors. You know, I, I know founders who are taking back to back to back meetings with investors from literally everywhere. So that's the good news. But I think then to answer your question, well, how do you find these people to hop on calls with? And so here are a couple of thoughts. There are funds that specifically do cannabis investments. And I think the other approach is maybe even cold emailing other CEOs of cannabis companies that are doing well, like they may be angel investing or they certainly know people who invested in their companies. And I think touting some of your credentials because, I mean, you're you're not new to this space and you have these licenses. So you're a very credible person in this space. And I would just like tout that with a couple of bullet points and say, you know, hey, would love to get 15 minutes of advice. Here's a bit about me. My company is, you know, growing and I'm just trying to fundraise a little bit of money to, to spur on that growth. For sure. That's great advice. I'm, I'm often sometimes wary of co-emailing people, but um, I also have to realize that I have some pretty great accolades, so I could also be of value to them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Elizabeth loves cold emails. I love like, cold She email. can't just get enough email. Do that. <laughs> uh, no, cold emails really do work. <laughs> Not everyone will respond, but I think you will get some bites. Yeah, just to double down on some of the things Elizabeth said, I think when you have very specific knowledge and expertise, you're not just asking, you are already exchanging. Even if they don't need your help right now, they're adding you as somebody that they might be able to reach to in the future if they, for example, you know, need to diligence an investment or want your opinion on something or help navigating you know, sort of a regulatory. So sometimes when you're reaching out to people, you know, I get to see, hey, Hunter, I want to pick your brain. And they don't tell me, what the reciprocation is going to be. And obviously, I'm not looking for, you know, I'm not purely transactional. Right. But don't be afraid, I think, of uh, of being clear about what you're good at and how, you know, how you can make that available to somebody either during that call or in the future. Wow, that was great advice. All right, Rebecca. Um, thank you so much for calling in. I definitely appreciated that. So thank you, guys. Great. Good luck. Yeah. Take care. Thank you. Yeah. So Elizabeth and Hunter, I'm just curious, like, is there anything else you've noticed about uh, like taking pitches remotely since uh, COVID? Like, how has it changed pitching and and startups? Hasn't changed anything for me. We've always taken pitches remotely. (laughs) The challenge, I think, sometimes, especially when you're talking to, you know, teams that are two or three founders, is I really care about the dynamics between those founders. And sometimes it's harder to read those across three different Zoom windows. Um, than it is when they're all in the same room together. So I've had to sort of try to figure out how to ask different types of questions or be a little bit more provocative to get them interacting with each other. I'm curious to see, you know, is the whole greater than the sum of its parts? And that's more than just looking at three resumes. It's understanding, do they trust each other? How do they make decisions? How do they resolve disagreements? You, You just get a sense for how comfortable people are talking about themselves as opposed to just pitching their business. And, you know, at the stage at which we invest... You try to focus on understanding those people. And and that sometimes that is harder um, when it's all being done virtual. 
Yeah, totally. All right, all right. Oh, turn back on the phone line. Hello, the pitch. You have a caller. To accept the call, press 1. For more options, press... Hello, this is Josh. And Elizabeth. Hey. Hi. Hi, who's calling? This is Graham. Hi, Graham. What are you calling in for? Um, I am a non-technical founder. Um, I recently, about two or three, I think about three weeks ago, um, was part of a LGBTQ um, hackathon, and my idea won the top prize and fan favorites. So now I'm trying to figure out where nice. to go with my next step. Congrats. Wait, you're non-technical, but you won a hackathon? That doesn't sound non-technical. <laughs> <laughs> it's because, I mean, they paired me up with technical people, so I was able to make that happen. Oh, great. Uh, what's the idea? Um, it is a subscription clothing service similar to like Stitch Fix or Trunk Club, but it's more geared towards uh, the LGBTQ community, especially towards trans, uh, gender nonconforming, non-binary people, because the typical brick and mortar um, shopping experience isn't necessarily as accepting as you have the gendered men's and women's section. So this allows people to, in the safety of their own home, try on clothing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Why that one? That's a cool idea. Thank you. So what's the problem? You're a winner. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So what's the right. Problem? Yeah. Great. We're done. <laughs> <laughs> well, I won that. I just and like they did give me a little bit of money, which I'm you know putting into account on the side to hopefully allow it to grow a little bit. Um, but now figuring out because there is a fairly high entry, like monetarily, into the field of this because you have to have all of this inventory of clothing. So I need to figure out a way to show investors that what I'm bringing to them is valuable and that I have data that proves that. And I'm thinking the best way, um, the most low cost way right now is to build out the online questionnaire that asks people, you know, their identity, all of those things, what their style is, what their sizing is, and then have that to be able to show to investors that there are people out there interested in this. I just don't have the money myself to bootstrap it. So you want to collect a bunch of responses using the style quiz and then go to investors and say, I've got all these people. This is what they want. Let's go make it happen. Yeah. I think that sounds great. And actually, that is exactly what Stitch Fix did. Graham, what's your timeline on this? Like, have you quit your job and everything? No, I am still working full time. So I the amount of time I have to put towards this isn't a lot right now, but this was something I started developing in grad school about a year and a half ago, put it away for a little bit. Then, you know, this hackathon opportunity came up, like, let me put this, you know, towards people who will either love it or hate it. And the amount of positive responses that I got was really great, which makes me want to push it more. Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing like that feedback when you're like, oh, there's this thing. It might work. And then people are like, no, no, we want it. Do it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, in all honesty, actually, you can really get this going in a concierge type of way, right? This is basically a personal shopping service. Mm -hmm. So if you do have people even who want to volunteer, like you don't need inventory. Like every weekend they can just go and personally shop for your customers who are paying you that yeah. $20 or whatever, right? Kind of like how Zappos started out a little bit. Yeah, well, actually, Stitch Fix started out this way as well. They didn't actually have any tech for a long mm -hmm. time. So the important thing is just continue to collect the data around what people liked or what they didn't like or whatever their tastes are. And then they just go to Macy's, buy the clothing yeah. and ship it to them, to their customers? 
Yeah, exactly. And then you collect data on whether that shipment went well or didn't. And then over time, you collect all this data and then eventually you can run models against it and build out a site and all this other stuff. But you don't actually need any tech to get going. You just need mm-hmm. personal shopping. Yeah. <laughs> Think about the leanest way of doing it. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, just I guess like since you're working full time, just every Saturday, I guess you're going to be shopping. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I love to shop, so that works well for me. Oh, that's well, awesome. great, <laughs> Graham. If somebody's like interested in uh, filling out this form and or getting involved, like, is there a way they can get in touch? Um, probably the best way right now would just be to email me directly. No website yet. Nope. <laughs> Josh, when is this going to air? He can make up a website right now, and yeah. by the time it publishes, <laughs> two weeks. You've got two weeks from today. There you go. Oh. Timeline just get, started. Can he get it? If he can get it to you, then we can we can dub that in. Yes, hopefully I will get this thing moving forward. Yeah, go for it. Graham, thanks for calling in. Best of luck on everything. Yeah. Yeah. Take care. You too. Bye. Thanks for the help. Okay, here we are. Just like Hunter said, Graham got his website spun up in time. We'll put a link to it in the show notes. Back to the call in. Hello, the pitch. You have a caller. To accept the call, press 1. For more options, press star. Hello, this is Josh. And Elizabeth. Hi, my name is Shweta. Hi, Shweta. This is Hunter. Hi, Hunter. What are you calling in for? So, I'm the founder and CEO of a company called Catalyst. And we're a very early stage startup. My background is in in engineering, so I'm a technical founder. And... I'm in the process of searching for a business co-founder and have run into some trouble because of COVID, um, getting in the way of networking and kind of meeting people organically. But I have an opportunity that is coming up in the next couple weeks to pitch a VC. And I know I'm at a disadvantage being a single founder. And so my question is, how can I instill confidence in the investor as a single founder that I still have what it takes to execute on my vision? So first of all, I do think that that is a myth that goes around. There's certainly many VCs and investors and angels who believe that, but there are also many others who don't care. So definitely don't sell yourself short. I think if you think there's an immediate need to bring someone on board, I think my recommendation would not be to force a co-founder relationship and certainly not for the meeting, but you may want to consider, you know, starting to work with people to get to know them. Maybe it's on a contractor basis, maybe it's on a volunteer basis and, and just slowly get to know people. Okay. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I I actually think the, um, well, of course, uh, Many of the companies we invest in have, you know, founder teams of two or three people already together. Um, we've also made investments where it's a single founder who is then going to build what they call a founding team around them, okay. and is setting aside, you know, enough equity to make it worth those people's while to join. Um, uh, all sorts of red sort of alarms go off for me when I think it's a co-founder that just sort of like grabbed somebody after knowing them for a little <laughs> while and you know made them partners in their company. Yeah. I, I just think it's going to make it difficult for, for you. Yep. So um, what I'm really looking for is I'm looking for somebody who can um, attract talent towards them and recruit them. Mm-hmm. Have they started to pull people into their orbit 
as advisors, as um, references, so on and so forth, those can often be pillars that hold up a story, you know, and support it even ahead of um, being able to hire a team. Gotcha. Shweta, uh, I'm curious, what are the skills that you need to find a co-founder for? Where I struggle is answering questions around our financial projections, kind of detailing our business model. I think I have enough of an understanding because of previous experience with my first startup that I can kind of navigate this initially. But my concern is raising my my initial rounds of funding, whether I'm going to be able to field enough of those questions appropriately to kind of explain how I'm going to execute and grow my business. You're probably no more than you realize. Yeah. Just don't worry about it. Go go in confident. (laughs) Go get them. And if you don't know an answer, it's always okay to say, you know, I don't know. And that's, you know, something I'm figuring out or. um, I'll get back to you. Yeah. All right. Thanks so much, guys. This is really helpful. Take care. Awesome, Shweta. Bye. Bye-bye. That's a different one, but it's like a pretty basic question. Like, do I really need a co-founder? The worst are the people who like think that you have to and they do like two weeks of founder dating and, you know, then become equal partners. It's it's horrible. Um, Is there like a, a midway, do we pause for a midway bathroom break or something like that? <laughs> <laughs> okay. We haven't done that in the past, but if you need one, just wow. let me know and we can pause. I'm so hungry. <laughs> <laughs> me too. You didn't bring snacks to this? I, I'm a rookie. I told you I just bring my water. Not knowing there's no pee breaks. <laughs> I have snacks here. Oh. Okay. While Hunter takes a snack break, we'll take an ad break. When we come back, more callers who want to keep your beer cold and your coffee hot. This episode of The Pitch is brought to you exclusively by State Farm. We talk to a lot of entrepreneurs on the show, and one thread that connects them all, they're not just pitching their business, they're pitching themselves. Because small business owners know that their business is more than just a company, it's their whole life. And State Farm gets that. State Farm agents are small business owners too, and they know what it takes. They can help you choose personalized policies to fit your budget. That's the personal touch. That's small business insurance from State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This episode of The Pitch is brought to you exclusively by State Farm. Small business owners know that it's not just business, it's personal. Your business is your life, and State Farm gets that. State Farm agents are small business owners too, so they know what it takes. They can help you create a personalized insurance plan that fits your small business needs and budget. And they live and work in your community. So you're not just getting an insurance plan, you're getting that personal touch. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Welcome back. The next caller has a question about convertible notes. Convertible notes often get mentioned on our show in passing, but here's what you need to know. Typically, an angel investor gives a founder some money, and the founder gives the investor an IOU. That's the note. And here's the convertible part. 
Later on, the IOU for cash can convert into equity. That's when the investor gets a piece of the company. It can get complicated. And our next caller is trying to figure it out, too. Hello, the pitch. You have a caller. Oh, go. To accept the call, press 1. For more options, press star. Hello, this is Josh. And Elizabeth. And Hunter. Who's this? Oh, my gosh. I made it through. <laughs> you made it through. <laughs> yeah, this is Brian. Thanks for calling in, Brian. Wow, this is uh, crazy. Awesome. I've been trying. Um, what <laughs> industry is your business in, and, and what's your problem? Uh, we're an outdoor brand. I own Gator Coolers. We are uh, we started off candidly <laughs> as basically a drunk text message joke between me and my group of brothers. And um, my brother's working offshore, and I'm working living in a camper for 10 years, uh, looking for a way to get out of the old field, boomer bust type of situation. We went through prototyping. We uh, said, okay, well, well, we'll sell a couple of ice chests and uh, pay for family vacation this year, maybe pay our wives' cars off, and, and then we get a container in, and we sold out within like two or three weeks, and we looked at each other and said, holy crap, and uh, <laughs> let's get another container. We get it, and we sold it within two or three weeks, and it's not our family and friends. You know, like when you <laughs> extend past your token, like, oh, I'll buy it because you're my cousin, people, yeah. Um, it's exciting. And then, and then we grew from, you know, just, uh, three containers to eight containers to just now we, we can't keep up. So we went from started off in my brother's shed to a storage unit to now we have a 12,000 square foot building we just bought. And it's, it's exciting. That's so cool. That's awesome. I'm getting fired up. (laughs) I want some coolers. (laughs) That doesn't sound like a problem. <laughs> yeah. What's the pro- what's the problem exactly? Um, we primarily focus on corporate and nonprofit customers, uh, which isn't bad, but it is post-dated checks or uh, long net mm. terms. Uh, we have some great margins with them, and it's, and it's a huge market. So we can't really tell them no. Uh, when you have somebody that spends annually as a group $20 million a year, you don't want to tell them no, but it also isn't easy for us to float uh, several hundred thousand dollars for months at a time. Mm-hmm. So what, Brian, if you don't solve this, what happens? Uh, to be frank, we continue to slow walk this. Um, I mean, I, I quit my quarter million dollar a year job to do this full time in January. And my brother's uh, not not necessarily needing to quit, but he's able to quit if we wanted to, we can continue to kind of slowly grow it the way we've done. We've done a couple million dollars in sales since 2017, mm-hmm. but we see the opportunity to be 50 million plus within the next three to five years, if we can solve the problem. So just, it's more or less missing a boat, not necessarily that the boat that you're on is terrible, <laughs> but um, <laughs> it's, it's a much bigger, better boat that you're missing out on. Is this an opportunity where even though you hate to have to sell off equity just to solve a, uh, a cash flow problem, but getting a one-time infusion of, you know, half a million dollars of working capital gives you the ability to level up? That is exactly the position we're in right now. And that was a conversation me and my brothers had a hundred times. And it's, you know, we'd rather be 80% owners of a $50 million business than a hundred percent owners of a $2 million business. And we just met someone by chance that opened our minds to convertible notes. I didn't even know. I'm, I'm, I guess I should have let off with I'm not a business guy. I'm just a dumb oil field worker that's winging it. So um, I didn't know what a convertible note was. 
my brother's never heard of it. I've never heard of it. Nobody's ever told us about that. So I've, I've been researching a lot and listening to every podcast that I can about it. I've listened to this podcast a ton, but nobody really touches on convertible notes enough to where I feel super comfortable with it. Um, I guess my main concern is, in in y'all's opinion, you know, are you familiar with convertible notes? Should is there something that I'm missing here that I'm uh, should be concerned about or look into further? Um, yeah, look, convertible notes we usually see used in our business in an early fundraise, and as opposed to sort of you know herding sheep, rounding up all the investors at once and doing a single close, it gives the entrepreneurs a little bit more of a flexible you know rolling close type of thing. Twenty five thousand dollars here, then I got some more meetings, I get another hundred thousand dollars there. It allows the entrepreneur to put that money in the bank account incrementally, as opposed to uh, having to get everybody together. And so it's a really quick instrument to to put money into a company. The trade off is you know you're sort of uh, you're selling something that converts at a later date, right? So nobody really understands exactly what you're owning yet. And so I think it's perfectly fine to go down that path. Just, you know, anybody who right. wants to invest in you should be excited about the long-term potential for the business. You know, this is still an early business. Somebody right. should be willing to take the risk for the for the reward. Right. Okay. I think the last thing that I would add to that is depending on how the convertible note is written, I have seen before where, you know, technically a convertible note actually is debt. It is technically an IOU. And sometimes there's this option mm-hmm. to take your money back plus interest. And that can often harm the company if you know, you're raising a lot on convertible notes. So I think the details of that like, are important. And as Hunter said, I think the more that you can push the language towards this is definitely converting into equity as opposed to you get your money back plus interest, I think the better for everyone. Right, I think that's kind of the main thing that I was hearing too. Yeah, if the investor themselves, you know, sometimes we see confusion when it's a um, less about the entrepreneur and maybe more about the investor using something like this for the first time and not being uh, as familiar, mm-hmm. um, you know, with the risk in, in angel investment. So if the person has used this sort of instrument before, it might not be a bad idea to maybe talk to an entrepreneur or two that they have backed and make sure that when they commit to this, that they're committing to, you know, helping you build the business, not just looking to protect their piece of it. Right. Okay the only thing that I've ever taken away from everything I've read so far was just be realistic because when people aren't realistic, then maybe it can be more expensive than you think. And you'll get a big sticker shock mm-hmm. at the end. Mm-hmm. No, I think you're, you're approaching it really responsibly. It, you yep. know, it can often feel like free money until it converts. And then you're trying to figure out all these notes with different caps and different discount rates and different and interest, interest accrued. Yep. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, all of a sudden you realize you sold off more of your company than you, than you thought. But, uh, but you know, you're, you're thinking about all this stuff, you know, I, I, I think you're going down the path correctly. Brian, do you feel like uh, that answered your question? It, it did. I'm very appreciative of the, uh, the input here. Thanks, Brian, for calling in. All right. Thank you all very much. Take care. How excited would you be if, he just, if it was actual gators? A cooler that actually fits gators. Right. Right. Like, I don't think you're understanding me, Josh. <laughs> I'm in the gator business, not the cooler business. <laughs> yeah. Do we have time for one more? Hopefully. I've opened up the floodgates. <laughs> but no but one's calling now. There's no Okay, there's oh, there's the flood. Here we go. Oh, the pitch. You have a caller. To accept the call, press 1. For more options, press star. Hello, this is Josh. Hey, Josh, Jeff Walsh. And Elizabeth. And Hunter. Hey, Jeff. <laughs> Welcome to the bitch. Hi, good afternoon. <laughs> what are you calling in for? 
So I'm the founder or the co-founder of a consumer tech hardware company. Our first product is a uh, device that keeps coffee hot for up to two hours. Um, and I have one of these. Clearly not yours, but <laughs> I, I know what you're talking about. I have an Ember mug. Right, and they're actually a competitor. Ours, though, is a sleeve, so rather than pouring coffee into it, you actually take your to-go coffee cup and flip it in and so you don't have to wash oh. it. And uh, we're going to do the same for food. That's really smart. And uh, what's your question? So we've been trying, I've been doing a lot of the LinkedIn connecting and things like that to connect with investors. And we've been able to find someone that's willing to co-invest we're raising a seed round. Um, when you say co-invest, you just mean an investor? Right. He, uh, it's an investor that said that they're willing to co-invest once we find a lead investor. So oh, got it. That doesn't help her very much. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> if you can find some more money, I'll give you some money. Exactly. It, and, <laughs> right. The catch-22 of that. So, um, And the advice I've been given has been to try to attract investors in versus trying to go after them. And I haven't found any good advice on how to do that, how to attract them, them into us. People are telling you, don't go after investors, attract them in? Yes. Elizabeth Hunter, do you know what he's talking about? I've never heard this. Maybe you can elaborate a bit, but already I would say red flags, red sirens are going off in my head because anybody who tells you, oh yeah, we're in, if you have other investors, just, I would actually be very wary. It does not mean that they're in. I would say that that is usually true. However, what sometimes people fear is that, let's say he needs $500,000, you know, to really um, accelerate the business. And somebody says, I'm in for 25 so long as you can get the rest. But I don't necessarily want to give you that 25 until I know you have the rest because my 25 needs that other 475 to get you to the next milestone. So. Yeah. It's definitely, you know, it's a flavor of commitment. Uh, you know, we think of that as like a soft commit as opposed to a, a hard commit. Um, although, Jeff, to your, to your point around, you know, is it best to go after investors and, you know, try to pitch them or does that show desperation? You know, should you try to just make yourself uh, look great and wait for them to come? Right. I, I think really the former is fine. I have a big belief that uh, a good cold email proof of being the type of entrepreneur who has uh, developed something and even without funding, you know, has started to build a business, um, goes a long way in the mind of an investor. Yeah, you got to plant those and, seeds. You know, like yeah, otherwise they won't know. I think at the end of the day, these, these first rounds are about, you know, the hundred no's before you get the five yeses. And uh, it is about speed, right? So it's about getting through those, those no's to find the yeses. And if you wait back, it just slows everything down in my mind. Right. I think that's a good uh, good approach. And I've gotten a few no's, so, you know, that's good. I'm off to that start. <laughs> yeah, see? I sometimes find that for these types of businesses, uh, late career or retired executives from industries that this might touch mm. are fertile for, you know, angel-type checks, even if they don't think of themselves as angel investors. They're people who usually have made some good money. They're, you know, sometimes very eager to have a little bit of skin back in the game, to feel like they're connected mm -hmm. to the industry that they succeeded in. And, you know, they're not typically filling up their LinkedIn bio with all the type of, you know, Silicon Valley words that, you know, <laughs> angel investor, you know, looking for my next unicorn, right. blah, blah, blah. But they have the net worth um, to do so. You know, sometimes they just need the right opportunity and feel like that they're, you know, paying it forward to an entrepreneur in the industry that they succeeded in. Oh, that's awesome.
That's great advice. Thank you both. I appreciate it. Jeff, thanks for calling in. Elizabeth, Josh, Hunter, thank you very much. Take it easy. Good luck, Jeff. Bye, Jeff. Bye. Bye-bye. Okay. Um, unfortunately, I have to hop. Yeah. But uh, thank uh, you all. Not me. I've got the next six hours blocked off. So guys, let's uh, just let's just talk. <laughs> I'm gonna stop it. Don't mess. Hun- I'm gonna tweet out Hunter's phone number. And see what happens. <laughs> no, actually, we're not gonna tweet Hunter's phone number. But here's our number because we're gonna do more of these. 833-748-2448. You can call in anytime and leave us a voicemail. As we all are settling in to the long haul of this pandemic, there will be more questions to answer, and we'll be here to answer them. The Pitch is hosted by me, Josh Muccio, produced by Chris Neary, Heather Rogers, and Max Gibson. We're edited by Sarah Saracen. Original music in today's episode from So Wiley, Breakmaster Cylinder, and The Muse Maker were mixed by Enoch Kim. The Pitch is a Spotify original podcast. You can follow us on Spotify or subscribe wherever you listen. And we're also on Twitter and Instagram at The Pitch Show. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back with a new episode in three weeks. See you then. This episode of The Pitch is brought to you exclusively by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business, it's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's where State Farm Small Business Insurance comes in. State Farm agents are small business owners themselves, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today.